0: Let us open the precious Word of God to Ephesians, the third chapter, which many of you would have read last evening. But let's open our consideration of the Lord Jesus Christ and His love for us by going again to this wonderful prayer written down for our learning of the Apostle Paul for the saints at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus at this time was a wonderful church. We can read in Acts chapter 20 how touched and moved they were when the apostle was seeing them for the last time. If you read this epistle from beginning to end, there's a lot of commendation and a lot of instruction, but there's little in the way of rebuke. The Apostle had spent good time with them. And he writes them in the first chapter without the rebukes that he had for Corinth and other churches. And states their election and predestination as the children of God with an eternal inheritance reserved in heaven for them. In chapter 2, the first half of it, he describes their regeneration. So these are born again children of God. In the last half of chapter 2, he explains that their lot as Gentiles had been drastically changed by Jesus Christ. That now they have been brought together into one body by the cross of Calvary, as verses 11 through 22 describe. And that they are now fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God and together with all the patriarchs of the Old Testament. First half of chapter 3, the apostle says... This gathering together of the Gentiles into the church and congregation of the Lord was a mystery kept from other men from the foundation of the world, but revealed to me. And I have preached it boldly, and I'm preaching it to you, Ephesians, to rejoice in it. Now there is a time when elect, predestinated, regenerated, and united Gentiles need to hear something even better. And it's here in the 14th verse. There is a prayer request by the Apostle. It is separate from his prayer for them in chapter 1. But this is the higher ground of believers having a more intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And with God his Father. And I read to you this dramatic, glorious, emphatic prayer by the Apostle for these Ephesian saints before... He opens up his practical instruction to them in chapters 4 through 6. May this be our prayer and pursuit today and every day for the rest of our lives. Ephesians 3.14 For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. amen. And amen. And amen. Amen. What a dramatic prayer. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole family of heaven and earth is named after Him. That He, Almighty God, would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, so that you could achieve learning and understanding a mystery that passes ordinary human knowledge. And that is the love that Christ truly has for us in all of its dimensions. we, We begin as Christians with our roots and our building established on the ground of God's love for us. And our first understanding of the gospel is that God's love sent His Son to save us from our sins. And while that's a foundation and we're to be grounded in that knowledge, there's another level of personal intimacy that we are to understand about the Lord Jesus Christ's closeness to us and his love for us in every dimension that we can compare it to ordinary love because it surpasses it. It surpasses it to such a degree that it passes knowledge. There's no way to know the love of Christ unless the Holy Spirit of God reveals it to you by His might in your inner man. Now, if you're not born again, you don't have an inner man, so you can't learn it. If you are born again and you have an inner man, but you're walking in the flesh, you can't learn it. It's got to be in your inner man by the blessing of the Spirit of God. And if you're living a carnal life, the Holy Spirit of God is grieved and quenched, and you go through life or you sit here this morning wondering, what is he talking about? It. He's talking mysteries. He's talking things. I don't know what he's talking about. What's this closer four dimensions of Jesus Christ's love? Either you're not born again, so you don't have an inner man, or you have an inner man, and the Holy Spirit of God is grieved and quenched, right. and you cannot hear my words with understanding. Right. It. Both. Both. Alternatives are horrible. If you've been living in the flesh, then confess your sins right now and beg God to have mercy upon you and to shine the light of His Spirit in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ into your hearts. This passage is fabulous as it describes something that this good church, this great church, needed in the opinion of an inspired apostle. Right. And it was that they might know Christ's love for them yet more and more. That they would come to comprehend it. That they would be given the ability to comprehend it. It is not too high for us. Because we have an inner man and the Spirit of God that is able to teach us it until we are filled with all the fullness of God. We will have as close of a relationship with God and walking with God as is possible for one of his children while still in this life. But we need to learn the love of Christ. If you're not born again, it's hopeless. If you're living in the flesh, it's hopeless. And we need his power, and we need our praying and our pursuit of this subject. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we would ask or think. I hope that you're asking and thinking with me right now that we can realize verses 14 through 19. Well, verse 20 says he's able to do it above what we ask or think. And he deserves glory in the church forever. And let us praise him that way. Now turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And let's take that text that will be abused this day about one million times throughout the earth. Abused, misused, corrupted and perverted, and misapplied over and over again. And we ourselves, some of us, have done it in the past. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Amen. It should be in the red writing if you have a red letter edition Bible. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. This is little different from Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. This is describing A closer, more personal, intimate relationship of fellowship and affection with the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse will be used a million times today to tell dead sinners, not born again, that if they would invite Jesus into their heart, they could get born again. Well, if they're not born again, which part of them is inviting Jesus into their heart? It must be their old man since they don't have a new man because they're not born again yet. Their old man hates the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Every single one of us. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Romans 3, 9-18. through 18. This verse is not addressed to dead sinners to get saved. Right. This verse is addressed to the church at Laodicea that they thought they had a great church, but they had lost their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. It starts in verse 14 under the angel of the church. We're writing saved people. Amen. Why do they use this verse for unsaved people? Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. How's that for a name? Amen! It is so in truth. The Lord Jesus Christ, true and faithful. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. People think we're too graphic, we're too harsh, we're too plain. These are the words of Jesus. Don't tell me about the Jesus of your imagination. Read to me the word of God. And Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were either a pagan worldling out there getting drunk this morning, being cold, or I would that you were hot, on fire for me, but I can't stand you being lukewarm, coming into my house, singing my praises, and yet you don't have a love for me in your heart. He hates lukewarmness, and so does every man and every woman. No woman wants to be in bed making love to her husband with a lukewarm approach from him because it's offensive. And every man feels the same way about his wife. He doesn't want a mannequin in bed. He wants a hot lover who's responding to him and loving him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the same way. He died to save us. He's he's embraced us as his spouse. And we should be hot toward him. And he would that we were either hot or cold, turned off and divorced from him. But not lukewarm. And he says that to this same church. Verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich. So they had a growing church. Maybe it was a mega church. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How's that? That's Jesus Christ telling a church that's quite prosperous and quite successful. And he says of them, you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus. Are we still in the red writing in your Bible? Good, good. I thought so. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried the fire that thou mayest be rich. There's another kind of gold, and it's not found at a jewelry store. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. These are the beloved children of God. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Because I'm standing at the door, and if you'll open the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. We can have communion. And I don't mean this ordinance. We can have interaction. We can have fellowship. We can have affection. We can commune to communicate together. We can love one another. We can be intimate with each other. We can be personal. That's what we want. Amen. That's what we want. That is the description of a great church. Come back to chapter 2. Now let's read about the church of Ephesus a number of years later. Revelation chapter 2. Under the angel, verse 1, Revelation 2 1, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that beholdeth, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The Lord Jesus Christ. I know thy works. Jesus knew the church at Ephesus. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hath labored, and hast not fainted. Now that is quite a glorious description of a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 4 says, Nevertheless, in spite of all that goodness, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, from what, how much you used to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And then he goes and commends them for hating the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. But you know what? It didn't mean anything. All that stuff, though commended, they were going to lose their candlestick. Though organizationally, the church looked glorious, they were going to lose the presence of the Spirit of God because Jesus was going to withdraw His Spirit from that church. So by way of introduction, Paul said, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that you might reach a higher comprehension of the love of Christ, that you might embrace Jesus Christ by faith and be drawn closer to Him until you see all the dimensions of His love for you, and you are filled with all the fullness of God, knowing that you have a Father like Psalm 139 describes, and a Savior like the rest of the New Testament describes, who gave His life for us. If we think we're doing okay, but He is outside the door, we lose. If we think we're rich and successful, we need Him on the inside fellowshipping with us. We need that daily communion of joy and interchange between the Lord Jesus Christ through His Spirit, with our spirit, daily, delighting in Him, rejoicing in Him, having it put a bounce in our step, joy in the Word of God, pleasure in prayer. Because we're walking with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and being filled with all His fullness. He will come down and dwell in us and make His abode inside us, He promised. Through the Holy Spirit. We lose our first love. The world seduces us. And we, just like marriages, after the honeymoon, we, 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 we speak about it often. You know how that, that, we lose our first love toward another person that we've married. And it needs to be restored and worked at. But we lose our first love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, brethren, I've boiled down a few things for you today. That are very simple. This message is so simple, I'm almost ashamed to preach it. But if you will just delight with me in some things about the Lord Jesus Christ and His love for you, I trust that God, by His Holy Spirit, will strengthen you with might in your inner man to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you will say to Him, draw me and I will run after thee that you will say that the ointment of his name is like ointment poured forth, and that his love is sweeter and more precious to you than the love of wine. Lord, have mercy upon us. To know and to comprehend Jesus Christ's love for us, let's compare it to the love of a man. To magnify our Lord, we shall imagine the richest, noblest, kindest, and most perfect man possible. Let's also imagine... That we are a poor, despised, and ugly single woman. Though, in our illustration here, that is much better than we actually are. We are not a poor, despised, and ugly single woman. We are a damned, God-hating, sin-loving follower of the devil, dead in trespasses and sins, and condemned before the justice and holiness of God. That's how the Bible describes us. Let us never forget that our Jesus is Jehovah God, the eternal creator made flesh. And I hope by the fact that Jesus said through Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 that this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church that you'll understand my method. This wonderful man picking this ugly girl and purposing to marry her. What a story. Amen. The richest, noblest, greatest man on earth, picking an ugly duckling out of obscurity and poverty to marry her. That is a dramatic thing. But the Lord's love of us is greater. And I want to make this as personal as I possibly can. This man would mouth words to this woman. He would say things to her as part of his winning of her. And the Lord Jesus Christ has spoken to us. And he's put it in writing. Let's see how it compares. The man says, I love you. Uh, I love you. Turn to Malachi chapter 2 and let's see what the Lord says. I love you. You have to wonder how many others has he loved. Who else has heard those words? How much does he love me? How long will he love me? Or do we sing, Will he still love me tomorrow? That's what the world has to sing, isn't it? Right. When the world makes love, they have to ask, Will he still love me tomorrow? I love you. Oh, precious. What does the Bible say? Well, we could turn in so many places. I want to turn to Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. Malachi 1, 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? It is appropriate to ask questions about the words, I love you. Where have you loved us? Show us how you've loved us. Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. In fact, these boys were twins. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom, that's another word for Esau, saith We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Amen. God made such a difference between two twin boys. One became the father of the Edomites, Esau. Jacob became the father of the Israelites. And when you were in your car traveling from Edom to Israel, I speak as a fool, they didn't have cars. And you saw the sign that said you are now leaving Edom to enter Israel. The difference at the border was incredible. And when you came the reverse route, you left prosperity to enter poverty. And no matter what their intentions were, God had indignation against them forever. Now does that help the words, I love you? Right, right. I hate your twin. I love you. No matter what they do, I will destroy their efforts. And, and my difference in affection for you and indignation toward them will be visible from the border of your lives. This is the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ loves like that. This is the Bible. When Israel said, how do you love us? He answers with two twins. And that's quoted again in Romans chapter 9. The man says, this ideal man, I have loved you since I first saw you on the street. Okay, that, that would be very touching. When the greatest, richest, noblest man on earth says that to an ugly duckling, I have loved you since the first time I saw you on the street. Turn to Jeremiah 31.3 and see if we can't do a little bit better. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? How can I make him more personal to you? He stands at the door of your soul and he's knocking. Right. And he wants not to save you. He's already done that. He died in the cross for you. He wants to come in and sup with you. He wants to have a meal together. Amen. He wants to go to lunch together. He wants to have supper in your home. He wants to talk to you and commune with you over some bread and wine. He wants to do what Abraham and Melchizedek did. He wants to do what the two did with him on the road to Emmaus. Amen. He wants to have fellowship with you. How can I make him more personal? I promise you on the authority of God's word, he is walking in this church right now, according to Re- Revelation chapter one, by his spirit. Of course he's invisible. Why would he reduce himself to your little balls of water hanging in your forehead for, to be able to see him? He's here by his spirit. He says so. He's glorious. He loves us and he wants us to love him in return. And that if we lose our first love, he threatens us by take he's gonna take the spirit away from our church. And he says, I'm standing and knocking. If you'll let me in, we can have that fellowship that we ought to be having. I'm ready. Why aren't you ready? Right. I've loved you since I first saw you on the street. Jesus says in Jeremiah 31:3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. If you are ever convicted and drawn toward the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because He has loved you with an everlasting love. He didn't love you because of what He saw on the street. He loved you by a sovereign divine choice of His made before Adam and Eve were created. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The man says, I will love you forever or at least until I die, Jesus would say this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, I preached a message to you a month ago before my mother's funeral. Do you remember the words of it, the title of it? Till death do us part. All human love ends with death. And so well known is that, it's usually included in the vows of every marriage ceremony. That I promise to love so-and-so in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, till death do us part. Right. Because death ends all earthly marital relationships and relationships of love like that. There's no marriage in heaven. Jesus taught that plainly. So, a man says, I will love you forever. Ever seen those words on a little note? I will love you forever. What does that mean, really? I'll love you for the next 10 or 20 years until I die. But what about the Lord? Right. Where, where, do we, where do you want to read? I just want to pick one verse. Let's just try 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. When a man says, I will love you forever, it's going to end at death. The Lord Jesus Christ's love just gets cranking up at death. When you die, you are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love is magnified, and you see Him face to face. It's better. There's nothing like this, brethren. Do you know your Savior? Do you love Him? He's in here this morning with us. The man says, as the poor little ugly thing looks at her hero, her husband, the man says, when you look at me like that, I just have to love you back. But do you know what Romans chapter 5 says? God commendeth His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners... Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. What were we called when Jesus died for us? Enemies. The man might say, "I, I can't help but love you when you look at me like that. Jesus loved us when we looked at Him with hatred and love for the devil in this world. Lord Jesus, help me. The man says, I'm the richest man in the world, at least for this year, according to Forbes magazine. And Jesus would say, I created the heavens and the earth, and all the silver and gold is mine, the cattle and a thousand hills. Right. And now you're going to inherit all things, the Bible tells us. Do you believe that about the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. You know, to have... A man say to a little ugly duckling, chosen out of obscurity and poverty, I'm the richest man in the world. Isn't that a great story? You know, you'd want to read that in Reader's Digest, or you'd want to see some Oprah show about it. You know I speak as a fool, as Paul would say. But think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns all that is in heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that is under the sea. That's right. And he's our beloved husband forever. Do you love him? Do you know how much he's loved you? All that he has and is, is yours. Are you caught up with something else that's distracting you from loving him? Even if it's doctrine, even if it's labors, even if it's Nicolaitans, even if it's patience, even if it's all the stuff that was mentioned by the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 2 to the church at Ephesus or in Revelation 3 to the church at Laodicea, are you caught up in all that junk? You're not really a Christian. You've lost it. Right. You're lukewarm. He wants that personal relationship with each one of us. And let's make sure we give it to him. The man says, I sit on the board of directors of seven companies. Jesus says, I am the blessed and only potentate, Amen. King of kings and Lord of lords. Right. Which one do you like the best? You say, well, he probably gets a fee for sitting on the board of directors. Yes, he probably gets about $2,500 a month for attending that board meeting. Maybe $25,000 a month, but I'd still rather have the blessed and only potentate. Amen. The man says, I will try to always tell you the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Do you know that's your husband? That's right. The man may say, I will try to always be faithful. Jesus will say, and it's all in writing. Everything that I'm saying about Jesus is in writing. Right. I am faithful, with a capital F. Faithful and true. Right. The man may say, If you will help me, little woman... I will try not to do wrong. Jesus would tell you, I cannot do wrong. Right. Hebrews 7.26, holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Do you know him? If you know him, do you love him? Amen. If you don't love him, what has he done wrong? He can't. I'm sorry that I can't preach him, but what has he done wrong that you don't love him? And that he is not the most important person in your life by a factor of infinity. Right. The man might say, some say I am romantic. Let me read this little poem I've been working on for us. Jesus would say, I wrote and I am the ultimate fulfillment of the Song of Solomon. Right. The man might say, I can be quite passionate. Jesus would say, I am passionate. I sweat as it were great drops of blood in earnest praying in the garden of Gethsemane for you. Is that passion? The man we would hope would say, I promise to never lie to you. Ever had a person tell you that? I promise to never lie to you. Jesus can say, I cannot lie. Titus one two God that cannot lie promised eternal life before the world began. Isn't that wonderful? You have someone. Is he behind you and before you? Did we read that in Psalm 139? Does he compassest you? Does he compass you? Do you remember what a compass was? You took it to school on the first day of school in your little bag. It had a sharp point and a little tiny pencil without an eraser stuck in a little holder. And you could stick the pin on a spot and draw a circle. Remember? A compass. I want you to know what the word means. All the way around in a circle. When you're walking or when you're sleeping. Is he all around you? And he can never lie. The man might say, and we would hope he would, I will make you happy for the rest of your life. Jesus says, I will make you happy for eternity. You are going to enjoy the pleasures of heaven and the pleasures of God with me forever. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I hear the man saying, if you will tell me what you want, I will try to take care of everything you want. Jesus, I read, said this, I know your needs before you ask them, and I will supply every one of them according to my riches in glory. Which do you prefer? I promise you that if my little illustrative story happened, it would be the front page of every paper in this world. And you would get excited about it to some measure. But how much will you get excited about Jesus Christ, the Lord, the prince of the kings of the earth, loving us the way he does? The man looks at this little ugly thing that he's picked to be his wife, still better than we are compared to Jesus. I will learn to appreciate your good features. I will learn to appreciate your good features. Jesus says to us, I will make you perfect, and I will greatly desire your beauty. Unbelievable. The man could say, I think my parents will like you. Jesus tells us, my Father has always loved you. Amen. The man, darling, I've learned your taste in food, clothing, and entertainment. Jesus, I know the number of hairs on your head. Now that's pretty good knowledge. Amen. I think I know how you think, the man says. Jesus says, I know the thoughts and intents of your heart. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The man could say, I gave up many beautiful women for you. Jesus tells us, and so Paul writes about him, I gave up heaven's throne and died the death of crucifixion for you. Forget other beautiful women. I will ignore your faults. The kind man says, Jesus says, I will take away your sins and faults forever and present you faultless before the presence of my Father's glory with exceeding great joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.